Hey, how's it going, Dan? It's going awesome, man. So, you know, the first time I was exposed to you was after UFC 201 in ATL. UFC came by, and uh, I saw Jed talking to Ariel Hawani. I was like, who's this guy? And I got to say, man, you represented, you held it down for uh, us Georgia boys. So thank you for doing that, and welcome to Half the Battle, man. Thanks. I uh, I appreciate the kind words, and thanks for having me on. Like, uh, yeah, it's, I'm excited. It should be fun. Absolutely, man. We got a lot to talk about. I mean, the main event is obviously a fight that we can't miss, but we got to start towards the bottom of the card. And man, I, you know, we got Cody East. He's a plus 200 underdog and Curtis Blades is minus 240. Now, both these guys are coming off losses. You know, uh, Curtis Blades, he does have a, de- a decent blast double. He's pretty big for the weight class with uh, Cody East. He's a more uh, mobile heavyweight. You know, he's smaller for the weight class. You wouldn't you wouldn't know that by looking at him, but you watch him fight, and he actually is pretty athletic. I mean, he sets up the head kicks nicely, and uh, he's a combination striker. I think that he's a much better striker than Curtis Blades, but I'm not sure how he's going to deal with that blast double, how his game is off of his back. And uh, so if it stays standing, man, I got uh, Cody East by knockout, but, you know, it's an MMA fight. So for me, it's kind of hard to call. But, man, you know, Curtis Blades only throws one shot at a time. You know, it's either a big kick or a big punch, but, you know, he's not a combination guy. Cody East is. I was at Cody East last fight with uh, Walt Harris. And, you know, as a fan, I was happy that Walt Harris won. You know why. But as a betting man... I think that Cody East actually has a shot here. I'm not willing to put my money on it because, you know, it's a heavyweight fight. Any guy could go down. But my pick is actually Cody East, man. Oh, wow. We're going to start off just disagreeing right off, right out of the gate then. Good. Um, I'm definitely I'm definitely backing Curtis Blades here. Uh, I'm, I'm with you uh, on the idea that I don't really feel comfortable putting my money on it here. Um, but and, and I'm with you a lot in your assessment of the fight. Um, I, Cody East is a better striker. He throws in combination. He works at a pretty quick pace, especially for heavyweight, um, which kind of hurts him some. He's he's shown in a uh, susceptibility to getting tired, uh, perhaps because he's throwing it at such a quick pace. But he does have good power, and he's he's quick for the division. Um, like you said, he is deceptively athletic. But there are levels to athleticism, and Curtis Blades is is just a notch above. Um, Blades is a, a JUCO national champion, um, and he has a good he has a good blast double. He has more than just a good blast double, though. He, even he can finish even off poor entries. Uh, again, his fight against Francis Ngannou, he in the second round he had a, a really poor entry into the double, but he ended up finishing finishing the takedown uh, after Ngannou kind of got his hips back by wrapping a leg and finishing a trip. So he's got a diversity to his attacks in the wrestling game. On the feet, he he's not gonna th- he does he throws single shots. He's not gonna throw anything that's really gonna hurt Cody East probably. But he's also shown that he's very durable and very tough. Uh, Francis Ngannou, as we've seen, huge hitter, um, is especially in the division. And uh, you know Curtis Blades got buzzed a couple of times, but he. 
he kept fighting through it and then kept winning through it. That fight was stopped by the doctor for his eye being closed. It wasn't stopped because he, you know, got knocked unconscious. He, you know, landed takedowns, kept fighting even after being hurt by a, a legit heavyweight prospect. Whereas Cody East, uh, Cody East lost to, lost to Walt Harris, and Walt Harris is not the top level fighter. The, the level of opposition, the difference between Walt Harrison and uh, Francis Naganyu is pretty pretty large to me. Um, if it does, if Cody East can keep it standing, then yeah, he's he should win. He's just he should be able to at least pile up the points. But I don't think he can. Um, he's shown good takedown defense um, at first level, that at first stuffing of the shot um, as a high school. I think he was a high school wrestler or whatever, and, and he's good at that. But for all the mobility he shows when he's striking, because he's got good movement, like you said, once he gets in a clinch exchange, once somebody's in on a leg, he doesn't kind of turn and disengage like you would want him to. And I just think Curtis Blades, he's going to get in, he's going to be able to finish those takedowns and spend the time on top. Cody East is going to get tired, and Curtis Blades is going to either win a decision or get a late stoppage. And while like, I, while like you said, and I agree with you, I'm – I'm not confident in putting my money on this. Um, if I am correct, let me look up real fast. But I think the I think the over under on this is like one and a half rounds. Yeah, definitely. And at, it's at, at minus even one money. ten. Yeah, minus yeah, one ten. Yeah. Um, I I actually sort of really like the over in that. Okay. Now it's it's heavyweight MMA, so always <laughs> you know that's always a tread with caution. Dangerous, but both men have shown themselves to be really durable. Um. When Cody East got knocked out by Walt Harris, I I felt the stoppage was a, just a tad early. I mean, he was clearly rocked, but uh, he was he was continuing to move. He was continuing to try and defend himself despite taking some big shots. I don't think Curtis Blade's going to stretcher him out early, and I don't think Cody East is really going to get it done early either. If there's a finish, like I said, I think it's Blades kind of taking East down, pounding him out as he tires out later in the fight getting it. So I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by by an over one and a half rounds even. Interesting. You know, minus 110. Yeah, that might be a sharp play. You might be onto something because you know with these heavyweight fights, if they don't end in the first round, there is a good chance yeah. that they're going to be stalling each other up against the fence and it's going to go the full three-round distance. Now, you mentioned the Nganu fight, and I got to say Nganu is one of the brightest prospects in the heavyweight di- um, division. But he's the, be- he's the best prospect heavyweight has right now, which is kind of sad because... He's yeah. not like a wonderful prospect, but he's a good one. And he's a specimen. But man, he, uh, Curtis Blades was getting whooped in that fight. Man, he wasn't winning that fight at all. And uh, yeah, he got a couple takedowns, but his top control wasn't good enough to keep Ngannou down. And that might be credit to the fact that Ngannou is a freak of nature. So I'm curious to see if uh, Cody East can get back up from the takedowns. And I really have no idea if he can. Uh, so um. I'm, I base a lot of my idea on this general thing around uh, Cody East fight with uh, Roy Bodden and uh, at GKO. It's Global Knockout. Uh, you can find the video online yeah. somewhere. And um, Bowden was able to get him down off a just like a snatch single and not even really a super clean entry. He got got him down. And East East was defensive, much like when Walt Harris had him buzzed and he was still trying to retain guard and stuff. And he was trying to get his feet on the hips and push off, but he just couldn't he could create the separation but he wasn't quick enough at standing off the separation and i just think even if he can get his feet on blades hips a little bit and create some separation i think blades just going to get right back in on him and I, I just don't i don't think he can keep him off him and like i said he gets 
Cody East gets tired, and he he pre- seemed to get particularly tired against Bouton doing the grappling. So something to look for or something to look at here. I, I am. I will say I'm also slightly concerned. I, I don't like betting against J- Jackson guys. You know, like it's it's a great fight camp and. Curtis Blades work with Team Elevation. They're a good team, um, obviously, but always a little, a little questionable, like going against Greg J- Jackson, Mike Winklejohn. Well, I'm going to be doing that in the main event, but no spoilers. We got to get to this next fight. It's so a- am I. <laughs> there we go. It's a light heavyweight battle between Ion Kutaleba. He's minus one sixty, and the comeback on Jonathan Wilson is plus one forty. Now it's funny. I was at Jonathan. I was actually at Jonathan Wilson's last two fights. I was going to say I was at his last fight, but I was at his UFC debut in Nashville as well. But it's a funny story. And it, so in his sophomore appearance uh, against uh, Henrique da Silva. So I'm in uh, LA. He's fighting on this card, isn't he? Yep. yep yeah, right. that, yeah. 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 They're all running. They're all running together. So yeah. many fights. So many weekends in a row, man. They really are, man. So okay. So I go to UFC 199, right? And, you know, I, I had to miss the first couple prelims, had to do some family stuff. So I'm in my Uber, and I'm watching it on my Fight Pass app on my phone. And, you know, uh, first round, Jonathan Wilson is, uh, you know, he, I thought he was kind of taking uh, Henrique Tosilva to school a little bit. You know, he kind of reminds me of uh, Lorenz Larkin just in the sense that, you know, he trains with that guy. He's an athletic, mobile, light heavyweight, decent striking, the hand fighting. He'll trap your hand, throw a nice elbow down the middle. I mean, he's uh, he's no slouch on the feet. Very suspect gas tank because, look, so I'm watching in my Uber. We pull up to the forum, and, you know, the round, the first round's about to end. I'm like, all right, this is a good time to walk into the venue because, you know, Jonathan Wilson is taking care of this dude. I walk inside the arena, and Jonathan Wilson is full-mounted getting pounded out. I was like, damn, son. And then I went back and rewatched the fight, and it's just credit to Henrique da Silva. That guy's a badass. Now, as far as this matchup is concerned, Ion Kutaleba, you know, people talk about how some guys throw bombs and haymakers. This guy throws haymakers. I mean, <laughs> and you don't just get out of the way of these haymakers. You block it with your forearm. You're going to have to keep your hand down the rest of the fight because your hands are going to be so damn heavy from, from absorbing that shot. I mean, he really throws serious heat man you have to have a granite chin or serious movement or a gas tank of three rounds to beat this guy i don't think jonathan wilson possesses that i think ion kutaleba is going to catch him with a big hook a big overhand right and i think he's going to put him down in the second round oh okay interesting um i'm with you in the general idea but my my view on the texture of this fight is very different um I sort of honestly i see this in a lot of the same terms as uh the last as as the blades uh, East fight in that uh, Jonathan Wilson is a, is a much more technical striker. I don't think anybody would ever dispute that. Um, no doubt. Kutala- yeah, Kutalaba has – he throws big overhand shots, and that's really kind of the the whole brunt of his striking game. And he's got power. He's a physical specimen, but uh, there's not a ton of craft to it and not a lot of defense either. But it's okay that he doesn't have defense because his chin appears to be phenomenal. He ate some very clean shots uh, against um, Misha Serkinov before, you know, the third round when he got a little bit tired in their fight. Um, I'm with you on your uh, decision. I guess not decision. I'm struggling for the word at the moment. No, no. Well, yeah, I'm with you on the pick, but uh, you're – Jonathan Wilson has a suspect gas tank. Um, It's not convicted yet. Because the, I mean, he definitely faded against Enrique, Enrique de Silva very clearly. Um, and I think that a lot of it may in fact just be a cardio issue that he has. Um, he throws at a, 
he works at a high rate, man. I think he was throwing like 20 strikes a minute in that uh, Luis Enrique fight. Like he was just, he was going. And for 205ers to work at that type of pace, you're going to have to have an unbelievable gas tank. The only other, the only light heavyweight I think that, um, that works at that uh, rate that I can think like off the top of my head is Al Capone. And, oh, that's my and, boy right there. I, dude, I, I love Al Capone, but I'm sorry, the Miner is is his new nickname. Oh, yeah. um, and he but, changed his last name too. Now it's a Krilov. It's not Krylov anymore. It, oh, I didn't realize he changed pronunciation of it. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, uh, Nikita, he works at a really high rate, but he has also been uh, accused of having a suspect gas tank because it's hard to throw 20 strikes a minute when you're a light heavyweight. Um, I think that that's part of it, but I do think that Luis Enrique was – digging the body on Jonathan Wilson a lot in that fight and that that might have played a role. Um, if it stays at range, this is Jonathan Wilson's fight to to lose. I think even if he slows down, he's probably not getting hit. But uh, the other skill sets are are not in his favor here. Kutalaba is a physical monster. Um, and while Wilson, like on paper, I think I think their physical stats match up on paper. When you see them in there, one of them is clearly a a f- more physically imposing individual and that's Kudalaba. Um, and Kudalaba is also really good in the clinch where Jonathan Wilson is not very good. Um, I, I watched that Henrique De Silva fight again and Wilson kind of masks the fact that he's not good by being active. He throws punches a lot, but he gives up position. His footwork in the clinch isn't really strong. Um, and I think Kudalaba is going to get inside and just kind of maul him, maul him in the clinch, wear him down make him get tired. He's going to get tired and then maybe get a late stoppage. I, I do like Kudalaba to win. Um, last I saw, the odds were like 160 on him. Is that Yeah, minus 160 with a plus 140 comeback on Wilson. Those are maybe a little shallow on Kudalaba. Like I, I feel like I if I was setting the line, I'd probably put him at like a 180, some, somewhere in there. Like maybe not up to 200, but... Uh, it's interesting. I'm going to keep my eye on that before I never, I would never, I say never place a bet until you see weigh-ins. I think that that matters a tremendous amount, but I'm interested in that line. Yeah. You know, you mentioned how Jonathan Wilson would have success if this fight was kept at, at distance at range, but you know, that's easier said than done when you're fighting a guy like Ion Kutaleba. And at the same time, when, you know, I mentioned that hand fighting that Wilson likes to do, you got to get up fucking close to do that shit, man. I mean, and uh, it's easier said than done. Like I said, and, I just think uh, one of the big bombs is going to catch him. You know, you were mentioning how it might not be the most technical thing you've ever seen, but it is effective, and I believe it'll be effective on Saturday night. Now, next up, this one is going to be very interesting. The featured fight pass prelim. We got Tamden McCrory. He's minus 230. Oh, my God. And the comeback Oh, on, wow. Yeah, I know, right? And the comeback on that, Nate, not so great. Mark Ward is plus 190. Now, all right, look. When I bet on Christoph Jocko at plus 200 to beat Tamden McCrory, I was like, look, he's going to 30-27 him. He goes out there and knocks him out in under a minute. And it wasn't just, you know, oh, he got caught and no big deal. He got deaded to the point where, you know, you hear the stories of him being like, the next thing I remember is mowing my lawn. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you got you got fucked up, dude. And I got respect for McCrory, but I actually think this is a bad style matchup for him, man. You know, 
I always, always look to fade Nate Marquardt, but I think this is one of those instances where he can actually get the win because McRory, he likes to body dudes. You know, I like to say uh, he likes to grown man, grown men. And he usually does it with his jiu-jitsu. You know, the guys that give Nate Marquardt problems, in, in, you know, as far as the grappling is concerned, are guys like Chael Sonnen, really good wrestlers, guys like Yushin Okami. But the jiu-jitsu guys do not give Nate Marquardt problems. I mean, Marquardt is a black belt under Ricardo Mergel, who's, you know, he's a red belt. There's only eight of those on planet Earth. You know, he used to be the coach at my gym. He, he left this year. But uh, bottom line, if you're a black belt under a red belt, that's nothing to be fucked with. And I think that uh, McCrory's going to probably try to take him down to the ground with, uh, you know, some upper body takedowns. I don't think it's going to work out for him. I actually think he's going to get caught. Obviously, there's the possibility of Marquardt getting caught because, you know, he does tend to get knocked out every other fight. So for that reason, I'm not going to be betting it. But I actually think I don't blame anyone for taking the shot on the underdog here, man, because I think uh, there's a good chance he's going to catch him. And, you know, some dudes, you know, I like to talk about how, you know, he's coming back too soon. You know, remember when uh, Yancey Medeiros fought Francisco Trinaldo and it was an absolute war? And then yeah. uh, he came back and fought Sean Spencer. So I was thinking, you know, maybe it's too soon, maybe not. But this is too soon, 100%. I mean, because the knockout loss he had against uh, Jocko, like I said, man, waking up and being like, oh, last thing I remember is mowing my lawn. That's not a good sign. It's only been three months. I think he needs some more time off. And uh, I think Nate Marquardt's going to knock him out too. So wait, you're actually picking Nate Marquardt to win here? I'm actually picking Nate Marquardt in 2016 to win a fight, Jed. You're a bold man. Have you looked at Nate Marquardt's record, like, lately? Have you looked at my betting record against Nate Marquardt? I mean, I always bet against the guy. It's just in this spot, man, I think that not only is McCrory coming back too soon, but his style of fighting to, you know, use that jiu-jitsu game against guys, I don't think that's going to work against Marquardt. It's usually the power punchers that give him the biggest fits. I uh, I I agree with you. I'm I don't love the comeback. If you get if you get colded, um, I would personally like to see like a six month. Just sort of take it and it's a time thing. Um, I I can't confidently pick Nate Morcourt to to beat anybody. Like I just uh, I just can't. It's 2016 and he is very very clearly on an athletic decline. Granted, that. he. He he was a he was a good athlete at his peak, um, and middleweight is a division filled with a lot of people who aren't good athletes. It's sort of that nexus point before you get like welterweight. Everybody in the top echelon's a good athlete. You can be a top ten middleweight, and not be a tremendous athlete. Nate Morcourt was always a plus athlete, so he had some room to work with. But that's clearly just declining rapidly. His chin is Cheshire Cat faded. Um, it's just, and you know, Nate Marquardt's entire career, he, uh, even like back in the, in the Pancrase days, he struggled with consistency issues with just being able to pull the trigger and, and kind of just, it seems maybe some sort of a mental hurdle or whatever. He just couldn't always put his best effort out there. And that has been really amplified. And honestly, when I see him fight a lot of most of the time, frankly, for the last two years, it hasn't really looked like he's wanted to be in there. It's just, I don't really think he should be fighting. I don't even think he particularly wants to be fighting. And it's, it's hard for me to back somebody like that. He's two and six in his last eight fights. 
and one of those wins was the Dalloway win, and he was getting beat up by C.B. Dalloway before C.B. Dalloway was terribly not good by charging for, like, if you go rewatch that knockout, like, it's a great knockout because Marquardt's still, he's still fast, like, he still has fast hands, he's still pretty accurate when he does choose to throw, which is less and less, and the last thing that ever leaves you is power, and he's got big power, but Dalloway is just recklessly chasing him, hurling these, like, looping wide hooks with his chin just poking out, and so, yeah, Marquardt can do that, and that does give me a bit of pause here because Tamron McCoy will also do some of that type of reckless charging. And so, yeah, if he does that, he can also get deaded by Nate Marquardt um, because Christoph Jocko is not, it's not a heavy hitter, man. Like that's, that's just long and short of it. And so it's, uh, he's got very few stoppages on his record. I don't think he had, I think this was his first in the UFC or that was his first in the UFC. Um, and and like you said, he got colded, um, and so it's it's concerning, and it's one of those things where you th- hope it's not indicative of a future problem, and that it's sort of an anomaly, a Nick Diaz jabbing Robbie Lawler unconscious somehow, one of those things. But I would never bet on this. Like I just I'm with you on that. Like there's two. I don't know how McCrory's chin really is now. If he's fully recovered, I'll never put money on Nate Marquardt again. Um, I'm, I'm going to pick McCrory. I, uh, Nate Marquardt's got skills everywhere. Um, and like you said, he's still a pretty good defensive wrestler. Tamron McCrory's got a huge size advantage coming in here. Um, he's going to be a much, he's a big middleweight and Nate Marquardt, you know, welter has fought at welterweight. Um, he's going to big size. I think he throws in combination and is active enough to win rounds and Marquardt's chin is so faded that if McCroy, if McCroy really like just kind of throws one of those blitzing combinations as he charges forward, it might just be enough to get the job done. I'm going to go with McCrory. Nobody put money on this. It's a really bad idea. Yeah, I mean, obviously if, if Marquardt gets hit on the chin, you know, like you mentioned, man, he's faded to the point where, you know, anyone can knock him out. But, man, I still maintain that spot, that position that, you know, Tamden's coming back way too soon. And uh, I guess we'll have to tune in to see what happens. But I agree, man. You cannot put money on this fight. Maybe I know some people taking the shot on the dog, and I actually I understand why because of the style matchup and because of McCrory coming back too soon. Now you mentioned that he's going to be the bigger guy. He's going to be the taller guy. I don't know if he's you know bigger in terms of mass, but he's definitely the taller guy. That's for sure. It's like six two versus five eleven. Mm-hmm. Not that the shorter guy can't win, but yeah, you're right. He's the taller guy. Now next up, dude, we got Keita Nakamura. He's minus 135, and the comeback on Eliza Zaleski is plus 115. Now, I was actually considering uh, making a bet on Eliza Zaleski, and then I went back and watched the film on Keitaro, and man, I love this dude, Keita Nakamura. I mean, he's such a badass, and, you know, I bet on him in that fight against Noak, and man, he's just like, you know, we talk about the Korean zombie being a badass. This dude's like the Japanese zombie, and later on on the card with uh, with Henrique da Silva, we got the Brazilian zombie, you know what I mean? But uh, here with... uh, with Keita Nakamura, I mean, just, the dude's amazing. And, you know, he uh, he beat Li Jingliang. People try to act like it was a big comeback win, but it wasn't. I mean, the first round, he dropped Li Jingliang. Then he lost the second round, so it's 1-1 going to the third, and he tapped him out. Then the next fight against Tom Breeze, you know, Tom Breeze is a minus-1,000 favorite. I thought Keita Nakamura won that fight. Now, it was in England, so you know how that goes. Then the next fight, 
like I mentioned against Kyle Noak, he cashes as the underdog. With Zaleski, I've been impressed with him too. He had a very close fight with Nicholas Dalby. This was Nicholas Dalby before all those wars that slowed him down, you know, before the Darren Till fight, before the Zach Cummings fight, before the um, Peter Sabata fight, which Jesus Christ, man, you can tell the wars have caught up to Nicholas Dalby. But Zaleski fought a prime Dalby, and I thought that was a good fight. And then his next one against Omari Akhmedov, one doesn't simply finish a Russian. He went out there and did that, man. And, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think that his game is pretty impressive. You know, he's known for his capoeira, his spinning kicks and stuff like that. But you take the guy down, immediately he's rolling for leg locks. He gets back up to his feet. He gets in your face. He's got good cardio for all three rounds. So, man, you know, my pick is Zaleski, you know, younger, fresher guy. And I also feel like, you know, at some point, Keitaro has to finally go down. You know, he takes a lot of punches. He's a total badass. But at some point, it's going to catch up with him. This could be the time. The reason I'm not making that bet is, like I said, man, Keitaro is such a badass. How can I bet against that guy, right? But I think Zaleski might get it done here, man. What'd you say the odds were? The odds are minus 135 for Keitaro and plus 115 for Zaleski. And, you know, initially it was a, a steeper line for Keitaro, but a lot of money has come in on Zaleski. And honestly, rightfully so, but I'm going to have to pass, man. If it was a steeper line, I would I would be in on a bet um, for Zaleski. Uh, I think minus 130 somewhere in that sounds about right to me i'm gonna go with uh with nakamura here um i uh i feel i feel a lot of what you're saying i think zaleski does have a real good chance uh in this fight and i really like both guys um i do i think it should be noted that um like you i felt that the tom breeze loss for katara was questionable let's go with that um (laughs) And and the thing about that is Tom Breeze is is a blue chip pro like that's a guy that everybody thinks is he's going going high places real real fast blue chipper just a great great young fighter great developing fighter and Kataro just hung right there with him um, I don't love Kataro's striking game still he still is a little bit. He's behind in this one, definitely, um, and I just—he still just doesn't feel entirely comfortable on the feet to me. But man, he is just a delight on the ground, um, and that's—that's that's really where I'm going with this here. Um, if it stays on the feet, I—I I think Zaleski's just gonna gonna piece him up. Like, and I, I think you're right on that. Um, and Kataro can take shots, and maybe he can take enough shots to hang in there for a decision. But uh, I, I don't think it'll go to that. I do think that uh, Katara's a good enough wrestler. I don't think Zaleski's a great defensive wrestler. I think Katara's good enough to, to get it down, or at least to get a tie up and force a scramble, find his way to the back or an arm and lock up a submission. Um, I'm going to go with Katara here, but I'm, I'm feeling a lot of what you're saying for Zaleski. Yeah, I mean, Kitaro, he walks dudes down and he breaks them because you hit him with everything but the kitchen sink and you wonder why is this guy still coming forward. Now, I agree with you. Zaleski doesn't have the best defensive wrestling, but like I mentioned, man, when he gets taken down, he's immediately scrambling, you know, going for leg locks. So he's got a very good uh, jujitsu game and, you know, maybe he can implement that to get back on his feet. I'm, I, he does, but I think, I just think he's behind in the area and, and trying to go for a leg lock or trying to create a scramble and, Kitaro is to me seems much more likely to result in him getting his back taken I think I really like Kitaro's ground game I really like what he does um and I I I think 
he's going to get a takedown. It might take him a little longer than he wants to, but once he does, if Zaleski starts, if Zaleski tries to pop off something for a leg, I feel pretty good about Katar kind of rolling through it and finding his way to the back. And, and that's just, that's a dangerous area. That's a great point about his back control because in that fight with Zaleski versus Ahmedov, there was a point in that second round where he got back up from a takedown and Omari took his back. But you know, Omari is not known for his jiu-jitsu. He's known he gets yeah. your back, he's going to knee you in the thigh, he's going to try to punch you in the face. Yeah. With with uh, Keitaro, he's going to get those hooks in, he's going to drag you to the mat, and he's going to mata leon, rear naked choke you. So yeah, that's definitely a possible outcome. I recommend the fans uh, sit back and enjoy this one because someone's uh, most likely getting finished here you know what i mean even if nobody gets finished um because really katara might be tough enough like maybe katara can't create scrambles and then he he might just be tough enough to take 15 minutes at eating shots it's gonna be fun and violent one way or the other like it's just gonna be a, it's i'm really looking forward to this fight definitely now next up we got shamil abdurahimov he's minus 125 the comeback on Walt, the big ticket Harris, is plus 105. Now, earlier on the show, we mentioned how, you know, Walt Harris' last fight against Cody East, I was so happy for him, man, to finally get that first UFC victory under his belt. You know, he's a really nice guy. As far as his skills, you know, he's somewhat of an athletic heavyweight, and, you know, he's got fast reactions and stuff, but I'm not that uh, sold on his striking. I know he's a striker, but I'm not that sold on it. He knocked out Anthony Hamilton back in the day, and obviously he knocked out Cody East. You know, like I said, man, I don't often pick against Russians. You know, I think uh, Shamil Abdurahimov, you know, he had a rough go with uh, Timothy Johnson, who's no slouch at all. Timothy Johnson, actually, is he welcoming uh, Volkov to the UFC? Is that what I heard, man? I uh, honestly, I'm super bad about upcoming fights. Like, I know what's main eventing 205. That's like exactly. all I got right now. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. I am so stretched thin on other things that I never remember, like, what's happening until I'm like, oh crap, I have to do tape study. What's what's coming up this weekend? Oh, Michael Bisping's fighting Dan Henderson. I think I remember hearing about that. Like, it's... There you go. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So, Shamil fought Timothy Johnson. I mean, Timothy Johnson's no slouch at all. I mean, he beat uh, Marcin Tibora. You know what I'm saying? And he beat, uh, he fought uh, Jared Rochal to a very tough decision back when, uh, you know, Jared Rochal was decisioning everyone. So, there's no shame in losing to Tim Johnson, man. And uh, Shamil, you know, his last fight against Anthony Hamilton, I thought that he established his jab really well. If he wanted to mix in the takedowns, he was able to do that as well. And uh, with Walt, yeah, obviously it's a heavyweight fight. He could definitely land a big punch, a big kick. But uh, I got to go with Shamil here, man. Whether it's a decision or a knockout, I got Shamil Abdurahimov. I'm I'm with you lockstep on this one. Um, what are the odds? I just want to take the a look at. The odds are minus oh, wow. one twenty-five. Oh, closer. And plus one. Um, I mean, I guess that's fair. Uh, I'm I'm with you in lockstep on this one. I uh, I think Wall Harris is. It would be heartening to see him, you know, put back-to-back wins after his uh, unfortunate career so far in the UFC. But there's a reason he has that, and it's just that he's he he loses every time he takes a step up and that's just like he's we seem to really know his ceiling and it's not really gonna be in the ufc a lot um i uh i just he just he's only really a striker that's like really all he's bringing to the table here and he's not even a tremendously good one at that he's got power but you know that cody east fight cody east was beating Walt Harris. like he's beat Walt harris up and then Walt harris kind of landed that uh that clean left as Cody East got a little sloppy on a on a jab cross combination 
I, I, uh, I, I'll never go against Dagestani knuckle game cartel, man. There yeah, you so, go. Uh, <laughs> I feel so that, bro. all day. Yes, sir. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Hakran Diaz. He's minus 175, and the comeback on Andre Touchy-Feely is plus 155. Now, conventional wisdom says that Hakran Diaz is going to win a decision, but, you know, fights uh, aren't always contested on paper, as you know, and it's an interesting spot, man. You know, I thought Hakran Diaz was one of the strongest guys in the featherweight division pre-USADA, Post-Usada, I, I don't know, man. I mean, that fight against Cub Swanson, well, now he's trying to stand and bang with Cub Swanson. I'm like, what's going on, man? He wasn't landing his takedowns, which he is known for. So I don't know if we can expect the same Hakran Diaz that, you know, that bodied Darren Elkins. One doesn't simply grind out Darren Elkins. This guy did that. But it was pre-Usada, man. And, I mean, people act like, oh, that's just a, you know, pre-Usada, that's just a term you throw around. No, man, it's it's legit, bro. It's legit as fuck. And you know how it goes down in Brazil. With Andre Feely, you know, obviously his last fight against Yair. Look, man, you take a flying a roundhouse to the to the head i don't care who you are you're getting knocked out that's the bottom line and he got knocked out whatever now he's coming back and i think he's taking the right amount of time off so it's a matter of can you keep this fight standing now i have a little bit of a personal bias because i like andre feely a lot and you know i went to ufc 199 like i mentioned earlier and uh here, here's the backstory so you know my buddy james vick was fighting on that card so i went to support him and then coincidentally enough it was my brother's birthday weekend, so I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to fly out to L.A. That's where my brother lives. Go hang out with him. And uh, my mom actually went, too, because it's my brother's birthday and all that. So, you know, I don't know anyone in L.A. except my brother, right? And uh, I was trying to go to those weigh-ins. So I didn't have any friends to go with. So I was like, hey, mom, you want to come see this sport I love? So I took my mom <laughs> to the weigh-ins, right? And uh, Andre Feely was hanging out. I was like, Andre, will you take a picture with my mom? And he did, and he was super cool. He made her day. So for that, I will always be a fan of Andre Feely because that's a that's a gentleman act right there, man. I was like, yeah, this guy's cool as hell. And it was only a couple months after the, the Yair fight. You know, sometimes dudes are dicks after they get knocked out. He was fucking cool as hell, man. He was super cool. So I'm going to root for him no matter what. But as far as the styles match up, okay, we got to look out for this grind from Hakran Diaz. His grind is relentless. Endless. He's so strong for the weight class. But uh, Andre Feely's no slouch. On his best day, he can win this fight. It's just, is this going to be his best day, man? I mean, you saw that fight with Gabriel Benitez. One doesn't simply knock out Gabriel Benitez. He went out there, knocked him out with a head kick. And, uh, you know, that fight with Max Holloway, he won the first two rounds until he got caught. So, you know, I'm obviously not going to bet on this fight because conventional wisdom does say Hakran Diaz by decision. But uh, I'm rooting for Andre Feely. Hopefully he gets a second round knockout here. You're not going to bet on this. Wow. Um, I actually think I like a bet on this fight. And I I will preface this by saying, to me, this is, other than the main event, um, this is the most difficult fight for me to kind of determine on the card uh, as far as like what I think is going to happen for very different reasons than the main event, which we'll get into now. Um, but I'm going to pick Andre Feely. I, I don't, he's at plus 150 right now, something like that. Yeah, and 55. I don't, well, yeah, I don't. I don't hate that for a bet at all. Um, I think this is a really close, close fight. Um, like you said, on his best day, he can definitely win this fight. I don't think he has to be on his best day to win this fight. Um, I think he's got a lot of natural advantages coming in here. Uh, if you know what I mean. Well, <laughs> I, I didn't even <laughs> intend it like that, but sure. Um, but I, I, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's got some, some size edges going. He's going to carry like five inches of reach here. Um, he's a taller guy. 
but the thing, he throws more volume than Hakan Diaz, and volume wins rounds, and winning rounds is how you win fights. Um, like you said, again, Hakan Diaz grinds out, gr- uh, ground out a win over Darren Elkins, which is a, that's a feat, is not a, not an easy thing to do. Uh, um, but also, again, just parroting you essentially for this fight is just how it's going. Andre Feely was, uh, having a lot of success against Max Holloway and I'm really big on Max Holloway as a fighter. Um, I think that it is very, he may very well be the best featherweight in the world right now. Like, honestly, if you, I am about as big a Jose Aldo Mark as there is, uh, but I think I pick Holloway in that fight and I would definitely pick Holloway in a rematch over Conor McGregor. Um, I just, I think he's, his game has improved so much. His game's improved since the, uh, since the Feely fight as well. But the fact that Feely could have that success with a guy who I think may very well be the best in the world to wait, uh, kind of speaks volumes about what he is capable of bringing to the table here. Um, and, uh, really I think the name of the game is volume. If, if he doesn't get reckless and that's, that's the big failing with Andre Feely is that even when it would behoove him to kind of take a step back and be a more controlled fighter, he doesn't always do it. Um, I'm not entirely sure that that's going to hurt him against Hawker and Diaz too much. Um, although it may get him controlled a little more, which would be an unfortunate thing, but I just, he's a good, he's a sound defensive wrestler. He's not bulletproof or dynamite. Um, he, but he's there. He's, he's not just going to fall over when Hawker Diaz gets in on him. Uh, and he's gonna he's gonna outwork him with volume with some pressure. I uh, I think it's a really close fight. I think the line should be a, should be closer than it is. And I uh, I'm I'm gonna go with Feely in the upset here. I like it, man. Now next up, we've been waiting for this moment. We got Luis Henrique da Silva. He's minus one twenty five, and the comeback on the newcomer Joaquim Christensen is plus one hundred five. Now, as you guys know. I love this dude, Luis Henrique da Silva. Now, let's take uh, his fight with Jonathan Wilson out of the equation for a sec. And you look back at his fight with Ildemar Alcantara. And, dude, I mean, this guy literally is the Brazilian zombie. That first round against Ildemar, Ildemar was taking him to school. Then that, that second round, he lands the ghost punch that knocks him out. You know, on the video, I didn't even see the punch. I just saw uh, Ildemar go down. So, at first, I was like... Did this dude, like, take a dive or something? But then, you know, I saw it on a different angle, and he clearly did knock him out. Then, obviously, I mentioned, you know, the Uber story where I see uh, Jonathan Wilson kicking his ass in the car. Then I go into the arena, and uh, Henrique da Silva is on top of him, pounding him out. So, this guy, you know, first round, hey, he's probably going to get his ass whooped that first round. Once he weathers that storm, he's going to come out, and I think he's going to finish Christensen. You know, Christensen, he's a newcomer, but, uh, you know, he's getting up there in age. He's about, what, 38, 37 years old. The guys he's beat on the regional scene, you know, a bunch of them are uh, sub-500 record fighters. And uh, this is the first time in the United States for him. I don't think it's going to go that well. With uh, with De Silva, I love uh, his clinch game. I mean, those knees to the body from the clinch. His tie clinch is disgusting. His durability, you know, eventually he's going to get knocked out. You know how this game goes. No one can keep taking those shots forever. I don't think this is going to be that time, though. I think this is going to be another one of those fights where he's able to, you know, show off uh, his beard, per se, and uh, come back and TKO him late in the first round or in the second round. I, uh, I'm i with all that, honestly. I, uh, I'm i definitely picking uh, Henrique De Silva here. 
Um, what are the odds on this? Minus oh, 125. Wow. I, I'm actually like, dude, I might have to play this. It's just I don't want to underestimate Christensen because dudes can rise to the occasion. You know how it goes. But the line is definitely you know in the range where I'm thinking, man, I, I might have to play this. I have general rules not to bet on fights with debuting fighters in them. Smart, um, smart. Because it's just, it's just in the long term, I guarantee everybody it's a better way to do it. Um, and so I, as even though I am act, I'm super tempted by that number. I, I will, I would, I would lay off this fight. But yeah, I uh, Christensen hasn't really beaten a ton of top talent um, in the in the Euro circuit. Um, and he, uh, he likes, he's, he's tall for the division. He's, I think he's six, three or whatever. So he's, um, which is interesting because he likes to come forward and eventually finds himself in the clinch. And like you said, uh, Henrique De Silva's clinch game is, is great. I really love what he can do in there, uh, especially with knees. He gets, he works his way well to either a tie to either the tie plum, or he can just like trap an arm and go to work as well. Uh, um, so I'll be interested to see how effective he can be with somebody with the frame of Christensen in there. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just not super sold on Christensen striking game. I don't think it's going to be enough to really like buzz Henrique De Silva out of the fight. Uh, and I, I do like Henrique De Silva to have success in those close quarter exchanges to kind of wear him down and succeed late, uh, where maybe Christensen has some moments early. I, I'm still not even sure that he really will. I'm I'm, I'm not very sold on Christensen um, because he just he hasn't he just hasn't fought the level of competition that I want to see to be able to know like oh you you're a contributing member of of this weight division. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. I mean, this is chance to to make a mark and make it big, and maybe the odds makers know something we don't. But I. I definitely feel like Enrique De Silva should be a bigger favorite here, um, at least 150. So, I mean, that that's what I would put him at, 150, 160. So, we'll uh, we'll see. But I'm definitely going with Enrique De Silva. I'll say he lands some type of knee from the clinch in early third round that that folds up. I think a knee to the body will fold up Christensen, and then just some cursory follow up punches and get him out of there. Just to emphasize on his clinch game, I mean, that fight with Jonathan Wilson, so he gets the tie plum, lands a few uh, knees to the body, and all of a sudden, all the fight was taken out of Wilson. I mean, that's how effective this dude's clinch is. And then also, similar to Keitaro, you know, De Silva's one of those guys that he'll just keep walking you down, and that breaks, guys. I mean, when you're throwing everything you got at someone, and they're still in your face, and they have zero problems with what you're throwing at them, and then they're throwing their own offense back... That breaks guys big time. And in uh, Christensen's debut under those bright lights, I don't think it's going to go well for him, man. So I got to go with De Silva as well. And, you know, I'm going to take your advice on the weigh-ins. You know, obviously, I've done that many times. You know, wait for the weigh-ins unless I know something before the fact about, you know, someone coming in in great shape and this and that. This might be one of those fights where I need to take a gander at the weigh-ins and maybe make a decision on a move there, you know? I, I always wait for the weigh-ins because if if somebody ends up missing weight, then that will completely change. I'll I just I don't bet on fights that a fighter misses weight in. Uh, it's just it changes the dynamic too much. It changes all the calculations that went on in my head because 
unless you are in the camp and know like what the reason is there, there are a whole lot of factors that could be, but if, if they miss weight, it's usually indicative of not having the sharpest camp and that, uh, immediately scares me off the fight. Um, so I, I always choose to wait until weigh ins unless, unless the line is like, uh, like Henderson, uh, Bisping or whatever. And just like, it doesn't really super matter a lot. And if, like if the line jump if the line opens at something absurd, I'm gonna I'll jump on it then and and deal with everything else down the line. But I uh, I usually choose to wait, and I would definitely wait to see to see how everybody looks on the scale. Make sure everybody gets in, hits their targets, looks clean. Yeah, I agree with your point and your line of uh, thinking. But man, I'm gonna make a counter of that because lately a lot of dudes have been missing weight and they've been going out there and winning. You look at Michelle Prezeris who missed weight by two pounds against uh, Gilbert Torino. You look at John Lineker back when he was at flyweight, he'd miss and then come back and knock dudes out. Even Jeremy Stevens when he fought Dennis Bermudez. But then obviously there's those times when these dudes miss weight and they come out completely sluggish. So back before the pre weigh in, if dudes would go out there miss weight and then not come back to weigh in again, you bet on them. But if they come back and they're completely sucked out that's when you bet against them. But now with the pre-weigh-ins, they only get one shot to make it. I uh, I haven't done it since the pre-weigh-in, so it's actually been interesting to look at. Um, a couple of years ago, I I uh, I just I just went back and looked all all the fighters that missed weight um, in, in the UFC and just tried to like figure out how missing weight uh, affected bouts and uh, and I'm I'm trying to recall something I did literally like three years ago off the top of my head. Um, but I remember it – fighters who missed weight, and there are a lot of factors that go into this obviously. Like if you're a fighter – I didn't take into account like, oh, they were – they missed – like Travis Luter missed weight against Anderson Silva. He wasn't beating Anderson Silva even if, even if he made weight, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but I think fighters who missed weight ended up winning at like a 45% clip. Okay. And, you know, as opposed to 55, something in like that. So it always just, I'm, I'm always scared about it. And I just, I'm a, I, I keep it safe and conservative. That's, that's all. It's been my motto forever. So. And rightfully so. Now, next up, finally, we got a bet to make here. So Lewis Smolka, holy shit. He's minus 470. Oh, this now. is a bet to make. Well, you'll, you'll see, you'll see. And he's fighting Brandon Moreno's plus 375. Now I took a gander at the under one and a half at plus 155. Look, Brandon Moreno, a lot of people don't realize that they've seen him fight before. And I'm not referring to that fight on tough. Okay, good fight, whatever. They've seen him fight before against a one-legged man. They just don't realize that that was Brandon Moreno. And uh, he went all three rounds with a one-legged man. Straight up, man. Now, you could make the argument, okay, he needed the money. You could make the argument, you know, he was being nice to this guy. But look, man, you put Lewis Smolka in there against a one-legged man, he wouldn't even take that fight. You know what I'm saying, dude? It's like... I'm just like, what the fuck, Brandon Moreno? Why'd you take that fight, man? But bottom line, I mean, he's a scrapper. He comes to fight. Yeah, he's kind of, his ground game's a little questionable. He's good for the first round. What I think is going to happen is around the four-minute mark of this fight, Lewis is going to get him down. And we all know Lewis Smolka's positioning on the ground, his ground and pound is just relentless. I was at his UFC debut uh, against Osklich. Were you there? It was in Georgia, bro, in, uh, at Gwinnett. He, I was uh, not. He, uh... So he goes in there against the D1 wrestler and, and full mounts the D1 wrestler, back mounts him, which one doesn't simply do, and uh, pounds him out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Smolka's a beast on the ground, and, you know, his stand-up has been criticized, but I think it's been getting a lot better, man. That fight with Ben Wen, look, man, you know, so Ben Wen comes out, throws big bombs, and, you know, Smolka 
reacts perfectly fine. Then I believe he got either an outside trip or a lateral drop, and then he uh, passes to full mount and does his thing from there. Also, you know, if you initiate scrambles with this guy, you're totally screwed. You know, I thought Sergio Pettis actually had a really good chance against Smolka because Pettis isn't the kind of guy to initiate scrambles. He's going to be very disciplined in his game, you know, on point fight, which actually could be a Lewis Smolka's kryptonite. But in this spot, Brandon's going to come out trying to slug. He's going to be nervous. It's his UFC debut under the bright lights. And I think eventually in under one and a half, uh, one and a half rounds, he's going to succumb to either a choke, whether it's the darts, the guillotine, the rear naked choke, whatever it takes, or a ground and pound TKO. But bottom line, I took that under one and a half at plus 155. It's currently at plus 125, and I don't blame you for taking that shot either. Now, Lewis Molka in the UFC, he has a zero, uh, he has a, you know, him cashing the under one and a half, it's been a zero percentage. He's never done it in the UFC yes. yet. But, At least you, all right, you brought that up. But there's a first for everything, you know? And, uh, man, I'm trying to think of that last fight I bet on where the dude, oh, yeah, Teruto Ishihara, he's got like a 75% rate of hitting the under one and a half. So I was all over that in his last fight. But in this one, I understand he's never hit that before. But look, in his fight with Patty Houlihan, he got a little bit closer. In his next fight against Ben Wen, it should have been under one and a half, but the ref wouldn't stop it. It was in Sioux Falls, which is, you know, Ben's like home away from home. The crowd was there for him. I understand. They didn't let the hometown guy, you know, go out that quick. In this spot, it's finally going to cash. I truly believe it. The fight will be over in under seven and a half minutes. And uh, yeah, man, I got Lewis Smolka here. But hey, if Lewis Smolka loses, hopefully it's also in under one and a half rounds, right? But yeah, I took that prop, man. I think it's, uh, I think it's a good bet. I... Uh... I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on that. Um, I, I agree with your general assessment of the fight. There's, I would definitely not lay the money at plus 125 if that's what the line has moved to now. Um, it's slightly more intriguing at 155. Uh, I would want that to be higher to jump on it. Uh, betting, betting under a round and a half in flyweight affairs is a risky proposition to say the least. And like, I mean, like you said, Smolka has, has never hit it, and as I'm looking over his record right now, it looks like he's got one, two, three of his, you know, 12 pro fights. He's gotten people out of there in, in under a round and a half three times. Um, your assessment of the fight, I, I like it a lot. Um, I uh, I do think Smolka's an improving striker. Um, he's, he's long. He is tall for the division um as a flyway he's like five eight five nine something like that he's a long guy he's got a he's got a developing kicking game which is going to serve him well to kind of learn how to operate at that range a little more be able to control the ranges that he wants to contest at um he's good he's pretty good on the interior he's got a great gas tank which i think is going to pay huge dividends here um i i do think smoke is eventually going to get him out of there um, because he's just he's got the natural physical advantages coming in here. He's got the benefit of a full training camp. Moreno's coming in on short notice. Um, he's just a better technical fighter and I and a better grappler. Um, like by I think by by clear margin. Um, More experience I, too. Yeah, I was definitely he's definitely got the experience edge. He's got all these edges going for him. Um, I do think Moreno is probably still a little bit better of a boxer just just far as crisp crisp technique um he's got a good uppercut he works well uh, throws in combination works well in in the pocket um got he's got good slips good head feints on the inside which, which i like 
but he's just he's still really young he's 20 something he's develop he's young 20s he's still developing he's he's not small in his own right for the division but he's just too many things going against him i do think smoke is going to get him down and and uh it's just going to be bad for him there because Smolka is a hellacious top position grappler. He has a is a fierce ground and pounder. Um, it could he could get him out in under a round and a half. Um, I just would never feel confident on a flyweight doing that. It's just it's, it's risky. A hard thing to, it's it's a hard but thing to do. When I was watching that Ben Wen fight, man, I like at the four minute mark, I was like, yeah. Brandon would be out of here by now, and I'm surprised that Nguyen wasn't out of there. But like we mentioned, you know, it wasn't Sioux Falls. The ref gave him every possible chance to survive. And also, you you know, we brought up the fact that he has a zero percent you know rate of hitting that in the UFC. But man, he's been making such improvements that I think now is going to be the time where he does it. Because in that Nguyen fight, which I keep going back to, you know, he was going for all kinds of chokes in that first round. But credit to Nguyen, man, he was able to survive that. I don't think Brandon Moreno is going to be able to survive that. I you could be right, and I so I think it'll be interesting to see how quickly Smolka can get him down. I think that's if he gets him down early, then then I would in no way be surprised by him finishing it out because he's just gonna he's gonna beat him, he's gonna wear on him. Um, we've seen Moreno has a tendency to kind of try risky low percentage stuff uh, off his back, and that's the type of thing that a grappler like Smolka is gonna gonna use to his advantage to pass to to roll through in the scramble and find the back, find a more dominant position, find mount and really put in the work. Um, so we'll see there. Uh, I think, I mean, I, I think smoke was almost certainly certain to win this fight. Uh, and I'm kind of, I'm sad that, that Sergio Pettis, uh, dropped off like that. I was looking forward to that fight. I was going to pick Pettis. Um, Me too. I had, I, uh, you know, I think, think pettis gets a little bit of an unfair rap because of his brother um and that maybe there was a little bit too high of expectations put on him but he's still a good developing fighter i think i think that's a fight i want to see smoke have because smoke was putting together this win streak and you know the flower division is barren of new contenders that's why they're doing tough 24 or whatever garbage like smoke needs to put together some wins against like legitimate top competition so he can make a title run or at least to see if he even has the title run in him um i doubt they'll end up if smoka beats moreno here my guess is that the uh the pettis fight doesn't end up happening and that instead he gets somewhere more near the top of the division i could be down for a smoka versus ian mccall i'm expecting Ian mccall to beat neil siri later this year um next week and is that next week yeah Geez, you're right. It is because that's two hundred fours next weekend. Yep. Wow. See, like I told you, time's just running. Just <laughs> running. So uh, I, I do. Um, series retiring, and Smolka's already uh, bought and beat Neil Siri. I expect McCall to be able to to close it out. Um, I would like that fight to happen. Um, if McCall gets a win over Smolka, maybe you can put him in a title shot off of it. Um, maybe you just need one more. Um, and if Smolka gets a win over McCall, that's really his first like big scalp, and you can start generating a real a real title interest off that. Um, I would have loved to see the Sergio Pettis fight. I think it would have shown us where Smolka is in his development, but you know you don't always get it. I expect Smolka to win. I think he's going to finish him. I just I think it's going to be a little later than under a round and a half, but I'll I'll hope for you. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I mean, it's only a one-unit shot, which 
I'm planning on winning, but look, man, at the end of the day, this is a long-term game. Now, next up, man, Josh Berkman's minus 245 in a UFC fight in 2016. <laughs> but the reason why is because he's fighting Zach Otto, who's plus 205. Man, I was really pumped for Berkman versus Bobby Green, but, you know, unfortunately... Were you? Yeah, cause I, I like watching Bobby Green fight, man. I know a lot of people hate him because he talks shit, but I find it very entertaining. Um, but anyways, man, you know, Bobby had to pull out, which he is known for. And uh, Zach Otto got the call on short notice. Uh, man, you know, Zach Otto is uh, what we like to refer to as a jobber. And I think that this is a fight that Josh Berkman can actually win. I think he's better everywhere. I, I know this is not the best breakdown ever of this fight. But look, man, I mean, did you see that fight between uh, Jacob Volkman and Zach Otto? <laughs> Uh, wait, which, where was that? Where you got Darst in the first round. I don't remember oh, the yeah. promotion, but man, oh. I mean, that was bad, bro. And, uh, I just, you know, it's at 170. A lot of people thought this fight might be at 55. It's at 170. I think Josh Berkman can actually get his hand raised here, and I think he will, man. You know, a lot of people talk shit about Berkman, but the reality is you don't go out there and finish Berkman in the first round. You always have a tough fight with Berkman, you know? Patrick Cote had a tough fight with Berkman, you know, until he finished him in the third round. Kim had a tough fight with Berkman. Paul Felder had a tough fight with Berkman. You don't go out there and steamroll Josh Berkman. I think that's something that uh, a lot of people don't realize, man. And I think that uh, Berkman's going to let uh, Otto know what it's like to be in the UFC. I, I'm, I'm with you on this. I, I also will echo the I'm sorry you don't get a better breakdown of this fight. But there's just I just don't think there's a whole lot to say here. Um, yes, Josh Berkman is getting older. Yes, he is probably like he's on a physical decline, but he's still a good athlete. Um, and honestly, that would just be enough here with the skill set he has. But he is he is just a better all around fighter. He's a better fighter in the areas that this fight will take place in. Um, he is uh, he's a still a solid wrestler, both defensively and offensively. Otto really kind of is a little bit reliant on his grappling, uh, and and that's just not that's not an avenue of success here. He's just not he he is a grappler by trade, and he can't even if Josh Berkman ends up grappling with him. I still think Josh Berkman probably wins the exchanges, but I don't think it ever gets there. I think Berkman keeps it on the feet. Last thing that ever leaves you is power. Josh Berkman can still thump. He's a little he's cleaner. It's just it's going to be a bad night for Zach Otto and you know, Otto was training for a fight anyway. Um, so it's not like entire, he, he had a fight scheduled, uh, in legacy. So he's not coming in like entirely unprepared as a lot of short notice fighters are. But, uh, yeah, I, it's going to be a bad night for him. I'm, I would have preferred the Bobby green fight. Um, although I'm not, I wouldn't. I don't know that I would have loved watching that fight. I don't have any problem with somebody talking trash in the cage. My problems with Bobby Green are the fact that he'll talk trash and not fight. <laughs> like he'll just as you don't win rounds or score points for making your opponent look like an idiot. Like you have to hit them back, and he will often get caught up in the like talking trash game, and and that's just not. It's not awesome, and and sometimes when he gets caught up in the talking trash game, Dustin Poirier puts hands on him in a in a very real way. That was awesome, so, man. I was there. That was crazy, bro. Yeah. So uh, I I would have liked to see that fight. I think Berkman still has the power and the craft to you know if Bobby Green had gotten too much like that, Berkman maybe could have hit him. Um, but you know I, this is just. This this card was much better until two of the main card fights got swapped out late 
and it's it's unfortunate because Smolka Pettis was the fight I was most looking forward to out of the main event, and this and Zach Otto, no offense to the man, is just not anything I'm super pumped about watching Otto Berkman, <laughs> but I will watch it nonetheless. My pick will be Berkman. Uh, I again, I don't, I don't actually know if I said. I also don't bet on short notice fights. I just, and I think this year should have put should have kind of explained why if nobody if anybody needed to know why like it's not just the day the the fighter coming in on short notice that's affected the fighter who's prepared yeah. is super affected and that's you know john jones didn't look good against osp because it it's hard to game plan and then have your entire style matchup get completely thrown out the window um zach Otto is not going to fight like bobby green is going to fight and so josh berkman is you know, he's had a, a, a couple of weeks, I think, to prepare for this change. I, I don't remember exactly when Green pulled out. Um, I think it was like two, two and a half weeks ago or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – I, I wouldn't bet money on this if I was anybody. Sit back and enjoy it however you can. What you were talking about is what us gambling men like to refer to as the classic letdown spot. You know, when uh, that guy takes the fight on short notice, you know, it definitely affects – the person who was initially in the fight, 100%, man. And, yeah, it could be that classic letdown spot. But, man, I'm going to have to pick Berkman as well. The next up, the co-main event. I have a feeling we're going to disagree on this one. We got Ooh. Will Brooks. Ill Will. Trill Will. He changed his name. He's minus 280. The comeback on Alex Cowboy is plus 240. Plus 240. Okay, now look. I get the hype on Will Brooks. I mean, 18-1, and one, amazing record. And, you know, he's... he's uh, Decent in-and-out striker, decent wrestler, and he's got so much hype on him, man. He comes into the UFC against Ross Pearson. You'd think if he was really that good, he'd make a big statement against Ross Pearson. Now, I understand it was his UFC debut. Oftentimes, guys look better in their sophomore appearances, but uh, you know, a lot of the things that he showed in that Ross Pearson fight were a lot of the things that I already knew that you know he is a bit chinny. You know, I mean, he's he does that thing where you hit him with a shot and he'll freeze up. And eventually, he's going to get knocked out cold. I mean, I know Syed Awad did it back in the day. It's going to happen again at some point. I don't know if this is going to be the time, but it's going to happen again. Trust me on that. Now, his wrestling game, I mean, he went one for six in takedowns against Ross Pearson. And, uh, you know, Ross is no slouch. But, look, man, I like Alex Cowboy a lot. The only thing is I wish this was at 170, man. At 155, not that Alex Cowboys look bad at 155 because he haven't. He hasn't. I mean, that fight against Piotr Hallman absolutely starched him. Even that fight with Gilbert Durinho, he was looking amazing for two rounds and a half until he got taken down and got uh, tapped out. What I like about Alex Cowboy, I love his clinch game, man. I mean, when he gets up close in that clinch, knees to the body, he'll, uh, he'll lean back, he'll throw a nice uppercut, rip the elbows. And from distance, he's a good striker too. You know, people think he's just a Muay Thai striker his Muay Thai is excellent but up close in that clinch that's really what he's known for I love his clinch game his dirty boxing the biggest issue with Alex Cowboy I don't think it's the takedown defense I think it's off his back he's kind of I, I don't he's not a you know he's no Gilbert Dorino let's put it like that you know what I mean off his back it's uh that's where people can pass position that's where he's been submitted in the past but you look at who submitted him all right Gilbert Dorino submitted him no shame in that Cowboy Cerrone Submitted him, no shame in that either. I mean, Cowboy Cerrone takes down Will Brooks. I guarantee you he taps him out too. But the thing with uh, this specific fight, 
I'm trying to figure out what Wilbrook's game plan is here. You know, is he going to just be smart about it and go ahead and take him down right away, which would be the smart thing to do? Or is he going to try to, you know, use that in and out striking, which he is known for, you know, try to, you know, after uh, Alex is thinking about the striking, then Will mixes in the takedown kind of thing, you know, win a decision. But I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Alex Cowboy. I know it's a bold pick, but you know what? I'm going to go with Alex Cowboy. I think that... Uh, this could be uh, the time that uh, Will Brooks takes that first UFC L. Everyone has to take that first UFC L. I don't give a fuck who you are. If you're Anderson, GSP, BJ Penn, Frankie Edgar, Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor, it does not matter who you are. No one is exempt from that first UFC L. This could be the time. And uh, on a side note, I feel like uh, Will's kind of overlooking Alex. He's talking to all the press is about him wanting to fight Michael Johnson. Like, Look, man, uh, why are you talking about Michael Johnson? You got Alex Cowboy in front of you. I just wish it was at 170 because at 170, I would jump all over this price. Since it's at 155, not that he's looked bad, like I mentioned. It's just he's he's a bigger dude that should be at, at 170. You know, that fight against Muntasri, that was a clinic, man. A lot of people didn't like it because they don't like when, you know, fights get clinched up and stuff. But to me, I really respected what was going on there. And he absolutely, he shut down the game of a, you know, U.S. Uh, national Taekwondo champion. And uh, he absolutely destroyed him. I understand there was a low blow early in that fight that might have changed, you know, that the tide. But bottom line, I thought that was the best the best performance we've seen from Alex Cowboy. And uh, yeah, I'm not that impressed with Will Brooks. I think he's overrated and overhyped. And I hate saying that because you know fans throw around those terms so much, and it's kind of annoying. But I truly believe it, and I believed it back in Bellator as well, man. I, I think it's a you know he's a smart guy, but I think he's a victim of hype. Lot of lot to kind of assess there i agree and i disagree with some of some of what you said i uh i guess i'll jump out and say this i am still undecided on who i'm gonna pick i'm gonna talk for a minute and as i continue to speak about this eventually i'll talk myself into a choice i think that's my general plan um this fight's very very close to me and so i will say that I do think this fight is way closer than the odds are, and I think jumping on Alex Oliveira is actually a perfectly reasonable bet. Um, like he's, what is he right now? Plus two forty. Yeah, exactly. He's plus two forty, um, and that's just like that's that's just way too high. So like two forty suggests that he wins the fight like thirty percent of the time. <laughs> And like I, I think he definitely wins the fight more than that. Um, so I'm, so I'll just start there and say I'm, I'm totally pro uh, Alex Cowboy bet here. Um, as far as the skills go, I think you did a pretty good job of assessing it. Um, Brooks, I disagree that Brooks is overrated with that statement. Um, I think Brooks, Michael Chandler is a very good fighter, and Will Brooks dusted him up in the set in their second fight you know the first fight was a close fight however you want to see it and a lot of people said that michael chandler just kind of looked past him and that's sort of what happened there and the second fight uh it it was competitive as well but in the individual exchanges uh michael chandler kept getting beat and then it had that kind of weird ending where michael chandler got like buzzed with a right hand and then just sort of like quit fighting and nobody was really sure what happened there but he didn't get hurt he just kind of stopped it was odd um and that's like one of the only finishes Wilbrooks has in forever <laughs> um and that's that's where a lot of my questioning of this fight takes place is i think is Wilbrooks is a is the quintessential jack of all trades master of none he is very skilled and 
every aspect of MMA. Um, but he is not a finisher. It's just not, it's just not in his wheelhouse. He doesn't, he lacks natural power on the feet. Um, he doesn't work at a high enough rate to kind of break somebody down. Um, and then, you know, attritively wear them down and get late stoppages. Um, but he is, but despite the fact that he can't like wear somebody down over five rounds, this is the type of fighter who would benefit from these for from like 10 round fights. Like Will Brooks, if you gave Will Brooks 10 rounds, 10, five minute rounds, it's going to be really tough to beat because he has a phenomenal gas tank. Um, and he is, he's a smart fighter and he's so well-rounded. He can take the fight in any area, um, that it, that it needs to go in. Um, I am interested to see what his game plan is. I do not suspect he'll come out looking for a takedown early. It doesn't really been his MO. Um, for the most part, he is, he's transformed himself really. He has that kind of in and out fighting style, but even more so lately, he's been, been just kind of working on the outside. Um, you know, and, and he's good at it. He's, he's a good out fighter. Um, how that will play against a guy who's going to have a little bit of reach on him. Um, and he's got like, he's got four inches of reach according to fight metric. Um, so he's going to have to kind of get back to that in and out style. And Oliveira is sort of an awkward striker still. He's not a classic striker, um, but he is a good counterpuncher, and and he's enormous. You know, like like you said, it would be nice to see him at 170. Um, that kind of feels like his natural weight to me because he's a big 170. Even he yeah. is an enormous lightweight, um, and he has power, and he's a good counterpuncher. Um, Will Brooks is. I don't know that he's – I wouldn't classify him as chinny, but he is he is able to be hurt, and Alex Oliveira is a guy who can hurt you. Um, it is very, very possible that, you know, Brooks kind of does – steps in for, for some work, and Oliveira just cracks him with a big counter shot. The other area of interest for me in this fight is the clinch. Uh, I like Alex Oliveira's clinch. He uses that size. He uses that frame very well. Um, Will Brooks is a pretty good clinch fighter himself. Um, I just don't think he has the physicality to really match up well there. I think the clinch is an area Alex Oliveira should be looking to initiate in. Um, the fact that it's three rounds helps Oliveira's case too. Like if this was if this was a five round thing, I would almost certainly put Will Brooks to just kind of score points or whatever. But uh, I. It's so it is. It's hard for me to kind of see what happens here because it is very possible that Oliveira just lands the hard counter shots and wins rounds or kind of finishes the fight. But I can also absolutely see Will Brooks just kind of sticking on the outside, and then when he gets inside, maybe take maybe being able to get Alex Oliveira down. I'm gonna pick. Will Brooks by a very competitive decision, um, you know, maybe 28, 29, 28 stuff. Uh, I think if you're putting money on it, it should definitely go on Cowboy. I think he's got a real good chance to win and a much better chance than the odd show. You know who Alice Cowboy reminds me of, man? He reminds me of the OSP of the lightweight division. You know, he's huge for the weight class. He is awkward as hell. It looks really ugly when he strikes, but he's effective, man. And he only loses to the top guys. I know Gilbert Torino's not a top guy, but look, he was winning that entire fight. So to me, his only real, real loss was to Cowboy Cerrone, which there's no shame in losing to that guy, especially at 170. I mean, that guy, 
that guy's looking better than ever. He's looking championship caliber as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, uh, he really reminds me of the OSP of that weight class. Now, you mentioned how it could be, you know, one of those 29-28 type fights. You know, one thing that might be sharp is that points handicap. If the points handicap is that plus money, basically what you need to do is, you know. What is the handicap at right now? Well, I, it hasn't been released. They usually only uh, release it like the day, before, day. Yeah. The, yeah, the day before the fight. But the thing is, uh, if the points handicap is plus money, it could be sharp because all he has to do is obviously win outright. But all he has to do is lose a 29-28 and you cash. A 30-27, will ruin that bet. But if he loses on all three judges' scorecards, 29-28, you cash the bet. Now, if he gets finished, it's out the window. And if he wins, you cash as well. So the points handicap might be sharp. And for this one, I'm going to go with you in terms of uh, checking out the, the scale, see how they look, and take it from there because this is a big dude cutting to 55. Uh, uh, actually, I, I just decided to look at lines for this. Um, I'll tell you what what I might end up uh, what I would end up suggesting actually for this. Um, I would I would uh, bet uh, Brooks by decision at minus 125 and then hedge with Oliver at plus 240. I think like Oliver at plus 240 straight and with a Brooks by decision. like Brooks isn't stopping Oliver. I just I'd be very surprised if Brooks stopped Oliver honestly like that just it's not it's not his wheelhouse. It's just it's not he's not a finisher. It's not, it's not a thing that's going to happen. His last finish was, what was his last finish? Was it the, I mean, well, okay. The Michael Chandler finish was an odd finish and it came in the fourth round, but his last three round finish was three years ago against Chris Leva. Like it's not, <laughs> and that like, it's, he's just, and do you know who Chris Leva is off the top of your I head? I do not. Yeah, I don't either. So, and Chris Leva is almost is a nine and seven fighter. So yeah, he's not he's not stopping Alex Oliveira. Um, I actually think I really like uh, Brooks by decision Oliveira straight hedge. Smart, yeah. I, I don't disagree with that. Now you mentioned his great gas tank. If this was a five or ten round fight, even that he'd have the edge. And in Bellator, it really showed because you know that the first two rounds with Jansen were super close, and then he broke through in those last three. But the argument I will make here is. Let's not forget that third round against Pearson. I know someone's going to be like, oh, that was his UFC debut. Give him a pass. But come on, man. He was straight up looking for the door against Pearson in that third round. It's just, he's, a, he's, a, he's not a quitter, though. He's a tough guy. And that's why he didn't go down to a knee. But, man, uh, you know, if, if it went to a fourth round, I think he would have got stopped. And that's against Ross, man. Come on. Ross Pearson is really hard. He's just a tricky dude. He's one of those guys who will just decide to show out randomly is and you're just like oh i thought i had you figured and then suddenly ross pearson just like oh i'm gonna turn in this amazingly crisp boxing performance like i am a freaking world-class golden gloves guy or whatever it's like ross pearson looked so good against paul felder when paul felder was like the surging good guy it's just i don't know i uh i'm i'm in the camp of let's just not let's not forget all the all the solid work Will Brooks did against good competition in Bellator, and let's give him another outing to see. I mean, if he if he kind of lays an egg here as well, you know, if he comes out looking flat in the third round, that's a trend I'm I'm willing to consider. But Ross Pearson's a tough, tricky dude, and I'm just I'm just giving him a pass on that one. Fair enough. The main event of the evening. John Dodson's minus 130. The comeback on John Lineker is plus 110. 
Firstly, I think that line's completely off. I think it should be flipped, but let's give our breakdowns, man. I mean, look, John Dodson, they call him the magician for a reason. I mean, in that first round uh, in particular, I mean, it's like a video game character. You, I've never seen him do that fast. I mean, his footwork's unbelievable. You know, he, he does like to pot shot. He is a mover. But really what he does best is, I mean, it's kind of like Vitor Belfort in the sense that, you know, he'll kind of lure, lure you to sleep. And then he blitzes dudes straight up. And, uh, you know, he can take out a guy like Manny Gamburian who, you know, got taken out like every other fight you know rob emerson knocked him out in 10 seconds jose aldo knocked him out a million years ago so uh, to me okay you knocked out manny gambrian props now let's look at his two fights prior to that the makovsky fight that was the first fight where i started to say look man Oof. john dodson might be on the decline man he he's he slowed down big time in that fight and i i scored it for dodson though i thought he won the last two rounds and uh, yeah, but that was the first time where I was like, yeah, this guy's an aging competitor. Then his next fight against DJ, man, that first round was just beautiful. I mean, they're, they're moving at such a high pace that like no one else can replicate that. So definitely watch the first round in that second DJ fight. But then you watch the next four rounds and uh, John Dawson's a completely different guy in rounds two through five than he is in the first round. Now with Lineker, I mean, firstly, as a fan, how can you not love this guy? But as a betting man, I mean... I just love the fact that this is the kind of guy that'll walk you down. He'll cut off that ring. And, uh, you know, oftentimes when dudes throw big hooks, you're like, oh, well, I need a guy with straight punches to counter the hook because, look, a straight punch will get there a lot quicker than a hook, right? But John Lineker's the kind of guy that'll eat three shots to land that one shot that changes the fight. And, you know, we mentioned how, uh, you know, Dotson does slow down. You know what's going to slow him down? Those big body shots are going to slow him down big time because when Lineker's cutting off that ring, he's throwing those hooks to the body. I mean, you feel that shit, and that shit adds up big time. That's where Dodson's going to start to slow down, and I think eventually, uh, you know, Lineker's going to mix it up top, and he's going to put him down straight up. I think he's going to be the first man in MMA history to knock out John Dodson. I took a one-unit shot. It was at plus 100 earlier. Now it's plus 110, even better. I took that one-unit shot here. I think, uh, you know, it's Lineker's time. I think he is primed to get a title shot soon, and I think, uh, you know, Dodson already had two title shots, man. He lost both of them. I, I think Lineker's going to knock him out. I'm feeling a lot of that. Um, I'm not feeling the end. I, uh, but I am. I'm going to pick John Lineker here. Um, I think I, I agree with you. I think the line's wrong. I think it's. I think it should probably be flipped. Um, but I understand why the line is where it's at. Um, on paper, John Dotson probably should win this fight. I think. Um, like he just. He has the he has the tools and the natural ability and the kind of game when he chooses to employ it that will that is and is should be effective against John Lineker. He if he comes out for this fight and he plays the outfighter, if he sticks and moves on the outside, if he's mobile, if he doesn't let if he doesn't get into protracted exchanges with John Lineker and he just lets his individual power shots and kind of one twos and moves around a lot he should be able to win a clean decision here. I am not sure he's going to do that. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be able to do that for five full rounds. If this was a three-round fight, I'd definitely pick John Dotson. Um, I think that if this was a three-round fight, I would. I think he should be like a minus 140, minus 145. Um because he he is he's gonna have a huge speed edge here, and I don't say that lightly. It's not like John Lineker is a slow man. John Dotson is the fastest fighter in the UFC, and I don't think it's really that close. Like I think he's faster than everybody else, and he Anthony Johnson's the only like guy who might hit harder than him pound for pound. Like 
John Lineker has big time power. Hands of Stone is not a joke of a nickname for him. <laughs> this ain't Sam Stout. No, his his power is that kind of thudding. Okay, it it hurts very like it really wilts you instantly. John Dodson has melt your whole face off power. Like he is just a one shot KO. The fact that DJ survived like big power shots from him in their first fight is still one of the most impressive things I've ever seen because the man can just melt you. Um, uh, so shot for shot, Dotson's got more power. He's got more speed. He's when he chooses to, he's got a wider array of what he can do. He moves better. Um, it's just that he is an inconsistent fighter. There is no, his game is so kind of frustrating to watch because you see, one of the most talented athletically gifted individuals in the UFC. And he's not, he never really seems to have put the pieces together in this kind of consistent way. Like a, he's an anomaly for a Greg Jackson fighter to me in that way. Like the Greg Jackson fighters, usually you, they're going to come in and have a solid process that is built upon. And like, this is my decision tree and here's how I go about things. And sometimes it just feels like John Dotson's in there and just like, it doesn't matter. I like, I'm just athletic enough to get away and do this. Like as long as I train seriously, like I'm going to be able to find a jump knee or find this major uppercut and, and put the dude on skates and finish it out. And, you know, more often than not, he, he has been able to, but this has been the knock on him his entire career is that, you know, you say the Zach Makovsky fight, you think he's declining. Um, and it's possible he's declining, but that fight didn't look like John, like Dotson declining to me. It just looked like, Oh, there's, that's the ballad of John Dotson. Like he will look disinterested or just take a round off for no real reason and just not kind of bring the offense that he could bring to bear to the fight that he just can't seem to consistently do. Um, cause he's not finding the openings he wants or whatever. John Lineker is, is an extremely consistent fighter. He is going to march you down he has good pressure footwork, and he's going to put you up against the cage and just go hammer and tongs, body head combinations, big time hooks. Like that's, and he's he is great at it. Um, and like you said, how can you not love watching John Lineker fight? Um, I would actually be super interested in John Lineker uh, getting a title shot. Um, I'm I don't think a John Dodson win should get you a title shot. I think you would still need one more. But if he does manage to beat Dodson here, um. You know, maybe somehow it happens, and if it if it happens, I I don't think I would still pick Dominic Cruz to to beat John Lineker. The only person I think that's beating Dominic Cruz right now is T.J. Dillashaw. I thought he won their first fight, but John Lineker has the type of different style um, that people don't really employ against Dominic Cruz, and that I that would pay dividends. Like, headhunting Dominic Cruz is a fool's errand, and everybody does it because he has his hands down by his waist and you think you can hit him. But his his upper body movement, his head movement, his slips are too – they're too good for that. And he can angle off and use that into a takedown attempt. John Lineker is just going to throw hooks at his chest all day and just wreck him to the ribs. And I think that there's a very serious avenue of success for that against Dominic Cruz. And so while I'd still pick Cruz ultimately, I would love to see the guy, a guy with the type of power and the concentrated body attack and the pressuring footwork of John Lineker get that matchup. 
here I uh, I'm gonna say that Lineker wins a decision that gets increasingly towards his way. Um, I do think Dodson, you know, Dodson works with Jackson Wink. That's really smart camp. I think they're going to come out with a stick-and-move style. I think that's going to be the plan early, and I think it'll have success because he's he's just so much faster. He's going to be able to pot shot, hit him. Um, the, the sad thing here for Dodson is that usually when Dodson hits somebody, their whole face falls off, and John Lineker, I, I believe John Lineker has the best chin pound-for-pound pound in MMA right now. For years, it was Carlos Condit, and I will argue to the death anyone who wants to argue that point with me. Carlos Condit has one of, if not the absolute best chins I have ever seen in mixed martial arts. Prime, like vintage era Mark Hunt style chin. Um, but then, you know, he had that fight with Robbie Lawler, and then he said Damian Maya rocked him. So yeah. I think he's not really in the, the top chin conversation anymore. He but was John for Lineker, sure, though. That T Wood no, fight, that's all the evidence I need. He he's the be- He has the best chin. I would say he has the best chin in MMA history, even over Mark Hunt. Um, but John Lineker has that type of cast iron, bulletproof untouchability, and he knows it, and he does not care that he gets hit. Michael McDonald is one of the biggest hitters at 135. Shot for shot, that dude can thump with the best of them. And John Lineker, like in the in the Lineker McDonald fight. You know, Lineker was walking him down, but there is a moment when McDonald hits a perfect, clean uppercut on Lineker, and Lineker no sells it, and that's just it. You can see the fight leave Michael McDonald because he hits him with his best Sunday punch that would put anybody else out, and it doesn't even phase him. John Lineker has an unbelievable chin, and so even though John Dotson is maybe the pound for pound biggest hitter in mixed martial arts, I I don't think that he's going to be able to crack that. You know, maybe he can. And if if Dotson if Dotson knocks out John Lineker, give him all the title shots for all I care. Like that's just unbelievable. Um but I think he's I suspected to look kind of a microcosm of their careers. You're going to see flashes from Dotson where he's sticking and moving. He is fast, he is light on his feet. He is putting in good work uh he is, you know, single shots, not getting into protracted exchanges. And then you're going to see him start to realize that, oh, I'm, I'm having success. I'm hitting him. And when I hit people, they fall over. So he's going to start getting into longer exchanges. And he's going to stay in the pocket one or, for one or two extra shots. And, yes, he'll land those one or two extra shots, but John Lineker will land three or four more extra shots. And it's going to progressively get to where Lineker's just volume of strikes, and he throws a very high rate, is going to wear down John Dodson. John Dodson's going to slow. He's going to get himself into more bad exchanges, and eventually that's just going to take over. Uh, I, you know, John Lineker has the ability to get John Dodson out of there. I I won't say he can't stop him, but John Dodson has proven to be an extremely durable guy. Um, you know, he, he's an athletic dude. He can, uh, I think it would behoove him greatly to work a takedown game. Um, you know, uh, he is not a wonderful offensive wrestler, but John Lineker is, uh, get, is susceptible to takedowns, particularly reactive doubles. Um, cause he, he comes forward, uh, relentlessly. So if you can time one of those shots, I think that would be a huge benefit to Dodson to look to do that both as a way to kind of mix up the pace of the fight and give Lineker more things to think about. 
Uh, I would love to see a kicking game from Dotson, um, particularly body kicks to maybe kind of slow Lineker down. But ultimately, I even he has the tools to use these. He can use these tools, and he can definitely win a decision. And if you knew that that's what you were getting, if you knew that he was going to come out and stick to a game plan for five rounds, then I would say the odds are correct. But I, Dotson is an inconsistent guy who is often prone to lapses and over-reliance on the physical advantages and his power and speed. And that's not going to play well against a guy who is metronomic in his consistency. So I am going to pick John Lineker. I like him for a bet. I am very excited to watch this fight play out. Uh, Can't ask for more out of this division. You mentioned how John Dodson has all the physical tools, and he really does, but he doesn't have all the mental tools. Have you ever seen John Dodson win a back-and-forth fight? I haven't. Now, here's the thing, man. So that first round, obviously, he's the fastest fighter in, in the UFC. But past that first round, I I, th- I think he slows down, and I think those body shots are going to slow him down big time. Now, on a side note, you mentioned TJ Dillashaw might be the guy to dethrone Cruz, maybe. You know who I think is going to be the guy? And this might be controversial. I think my boy Jimmy Rivera is going to be the guy to do it. But uh, that's a that's a debate for another time. But as far as this fight's concerned, man. Well, I like Jimmy Rivera. Um, I like him a lot, and I think he could. I don't think he's going to get a title shot before John Lineker is. So, or TJ. I think he's just so kind of far back in the log. Like He's going to have to – they're going to have to set up a Rivera-Dillashaw fight, and it's a saucy fight. I like the fight. I like um, it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, bottom line, what's going to happen is the four guys right now are Cruz, uh, Dillashaw, Garbrandt, and Rivera. And I really think Rivera can climb to the top in that mix, man. Yeah, he could. Give him enough time, he definitely could. Um, 19 I'm and interested one, right? to watch. What? Isn't he like 19 and 1? Yeah, maybe 20 now. Um, exactly. I'm, I'm interested to see the Garbrandt Cruz fight. Um, not from a. a Garbrandt doesn't deserve the fight, um, but. <laughs> And I'm, I will likely end up picking Cruz. I think Cody Garbrandt's probably the best athlete in the division. Um, he is a really special athlete. The things he does are very spectacular. Um, I, I wish he wasn't at Team Alpha Male. Um, I think that that kind of puts a ceiling on what he is capable of doing. Um, I feel the same way about Paige Van Zandt. Um, and I wish he was getting a little more practical technical instruction but he is still just – he is so good and he is still so raw and so developing. Um, and But he has real quick hands and, you know, he has the ability to beat Cruz. On balance, I'll definitely pick Cruz in that fight. But uh, – and, and by all accounts, that's the fight that's going to happen in December. Um, yeah. Like that, that seems to be the thing that's going to happen. And D- TJ is either going to have to take another fight or wait out his turn. Um, if TJ – TJ wants to take another fight. The winner of this one of of Dodson Lineker versus Dillashaw. That's an uh, that is a bulletproof number one contenders fight. Um, I would I'd love to see that fight. Um, but yeah, I uh, I like Jimmy Rivera too, man. I think he's really he's really a talented fighter. He honestly didn't even look as good against Faber as I thought he was going to. I really thought he was going to like show out in the most aggressive of ways but no he's a great guy under under the radar for how good he is you know what was so impressive about that favor fight well firstly i mean obviously he got eye gouged and he got low blowed and they were both intentional i don't care what anyone says i mean because you know when it's not intentional that the guy always high fives after and is like i'm sorry your eye was like 
fuck, man, I'm losing this fight. I need to figure out. I'm a vet. And yeah, but bottom line, I would eye gouge and low blow every time I was in the cage. Exactly. You get a warning. You get, you get one for each. I would absolutely take, take my one every time, but there's no reason not to. Jimmy Rivera just fought so smart and composed. It like, it reminded me of like GSP or Aldo, you know, he didn't take any unnecessary risks. And he clearly won every round. But back to this fight, man. Look, I think that, okay, so Dodson's faster in that first round. But, man, I think Lineker's a lot mentally stronger than him. And I think, yes. uh, you know, I think he, that's going to, that pays dividends in this sport big time. And I, I think he's going to slow him down as the fight goes on. I could see the decision, like you said. But personally, I'm going to have to go with the knockout. But bottom line, I'm playing Lineker straight. So, you know, hey, win a DQ for all I care, right? <laughs> I, I like the Lineker straight bet. I'm going to say 48-47. Dotson's gonna stick and move enough to win the first two. Um, the first round, I, I just think the first round's gonna be like, okay, that's a Dotson round. The second round, it's gonna be closer. The third round, Lineker's gonna start charging, and then the fourth and fifth, it's gonna be really one-way traffic for him. Um, and but you know, we'll. Uh, I guess I guess that's the beauty of things. We'll get to see. Lineker has never gone five, so you know I. I, I don't think he doesn't. I don't think he's going to have any real struggles with it, especially at 135. He looks great at he the way. Good with Rob Font, all three. Yeah, exactly. He's he's never he's never really shown a tendency to slow down, but there is a substantial difference between 15 and 25. Absolutely. Um, but like like I said, I think he's directing traffic um, for the latter half of this fight, and when you're setting the pace, it's easier to operate um, for the full distance. I don't think he'll have any issues, but, you know, we have never seen it before, so maybe he just doesn't have it past 15. That's, you know, I don't think so. I'm planning that he won't, that he win the latter three rounds, but uh, a lot of questions, a lot of answers will be delivered, and I'm really excited about this fight. Like, this is, uh, it. this event's probably not going to draw great ratings, but, man, the headline's great, and... Uh, the co-main event is a good one. I wish we hadn't lost the other two, uh, you know, fights that we lost there. List uh, Pettis and, and Bobby Green stepping out, but it should be a good time. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. And dude, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Jed, in your opinion, what's the fight to watch for UFC Portland, man? There is. If if anyone has an answer other than Lineker Dodson, you're wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, since that, uh, I'll give you. Uh, I mean, see, the other thing is the the Oliveira Brooks fight. I don't think like, that's a good competitive fight. That fight may or may not be super exciting for the like. I respect what Will Brooks does, but it's not the most captivating thing to watch. Um, other than that. Uh, other than the main event, I would definitely say the uh, the Kataro yeah. uh, Zaleski fight. That's 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 number two on on the list. Um, if the if Pettis hadn't pulled off, Pettis Smolka was gonna be barn burner. But uh, so we'll go order of order of appearance, headline, and then Kataro uh, Zaleski is number two on what you should watch. I agree. I can't disagree with that. But fighter to watch. Who is your fighter to watch, Jed? Ooh. That's a good one to think here. Um, I'm gonna say John Lineker just because he he has kind of a different style, not like a wholly unique style, but the way he operates and and the proficiency with which he is that kind of pressure brawler puncher combination of things, which isn't all, which is somewhat unique. 
but the way he can use those skills, the way his skills generally complement each other, the way he has kind of maximized his phys- his physical stuff, because he's he has physical disadvantages. He's the smallest man in the world. He's like five feet tall. Like I don't, they say, I think five two is what he's listed at, but that's right. just not. Like he's he is he is tiny, but he is so strong and and surprisingly deft. It's I think you should definitely watch him. Um, after that, uh, Smoke is probably going to show out on Brandon Moreno um, with some good top position grappling always worth a watch and then i'll throw in a third just for funsies i will say katar nakamura because i think katar nakamura is going to look sensational um i just i think he's going to find his way to the back and look awesome grappling and i'm a mark for fun grappling stuff you know so absolutely those are definitely uh, your fighters to watch, man. You know, I'm going to go a little bit off the cusp, man. I'm going to go with uh, Luis Henrique da Silva. Look, man, I understand that the chances are maybe he won't find himself to a title shot. You know, I hate putting a cap on fighters saying, oh, he's never going to get a title shot because I feel like that's extremely disrespectful. But what I will say is if he goes out there and, you know, handles Christensen accordingly, takes care of him in the showcase fight that this is, he could be the next guy that's just, you know, super fun to watch, just a fan favorite. If he goes out there and puts on a performance like he did against Jonathan Wilson, this time it's on TV. It's not on Fight Pass anymore, so more casuals will be exposed to it if they're watching it. If he can have that typical just fun fight to watch, he could be one of those guys that, are, that you know, the fans are like, man, I want to see Luis Henrique da Silva fight because, you know, it's like the Korean zombie. The dude's super excited. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely feel you on that. Um I don't I don't really have any bones about saying that I I don't think we'll see him find his way to a title shot because I don't think finding your way to a title shot is the is like the only thing that matters in fighting. I think just being a good competitive, you know, contributing member of a division is is a respectful is a respectable thing. Um and Henrique da Silva is still, you know, relatively young. He shows some skills. He's fighting in one of, if not the shallowest divisions in mixed martial arts, you know, 205 is thirsting for new blood and uh, a win here, an exciting win, like you said, you know, uh, like our, our boy we were talking about earlier, Nikita Krylov came in, yeah, he came with Krylov now, sorry, he came in as a heavyweight um, and was just was sort of a joke. And then he dropped down to 205 and he started training like professionally and he took things seriously and he is one of my absolute favorite fighters to watch. He is unquestionably a top ten light heavyweight, and frankly, he's one win away from you know getting a title eliminator. He hasn't beat anybody of a of a name recognition to earn himself a title eliminator right now. But one more win against a you know borderline fifteen top ten guy, then he gets to fight a OSP or something in a title you know a rematch with OSP in a title shot. Um, and I don't think it's unrealistic to sort of foresee maybe a similar a similar trajectory for Henrique da Silva. He's an exciting fighter. He has skills, and so you know he he's in a shallow division. If he puts together the win over Christensen, isn't going to get him a big name fight, but it can get him another fight with you know somebody who's hovering around the edge of the you know the top the ranked class of two o fivers. I'm trying to think of just a random person off the top of my head who would... Jimmy Manoa. Yeah, like a Jimmy Manoa fight wouldn't be 
Like that's a fine fight to make. Um, yeah, Jan I, Blankovich, something like that. Uh, I I don't. Uh, I think uh, Blahovich would actually dust him up pretty quick at this point. I <laughs> I was I uh, Blahovich has really impressed me as lost to Gustafson. Um, His you know, stand up, uh, but that was more to me like. What was up with Gustafson, man? Was that credit to Blankovic coming out there throwing bombs and landing, or was that, or was Gustafson not the the same dude that we know? I think it, it's a little of column A, a little of column B. I think Blahovic, uh, he looked technically improved. He was he was moving sharper. His angles were better. Um, but Gustafson is has is one of the more interesting fighters to me in the world because he really fights to the level of his competition, um, and. And Blahovich, uh, Blahovich clearly did some tape study and is aware of some things. Like Gustafson is not a defensively sound fighter and really never has been, but he's very, or at least on the feet. But he's very offensively gifted, and he kind of makes up for it by being long and having that stuff. So Blahovich was kind of dusting him up for periods of that before Gustafson used his really ex- exceptional and underrated wrestling to uh, to kind of have success here. Um, looking at the rankings, actually. John Volante yes. would be John Volante or Misha uh, Sirkinov. Both of those are guys that like I'd be totally fine if if Henrique da Silva gets a win here. Seeing him one of those borderline top fifteen guys right on the outskirts, uh, you know, and just let him. He's exciting. Let him be exciting, and that's that's more than enough for me to have you stick around. Um, and who knows, maybe he puts together some wins and he gets into a Nikita Krylov position where he's improved and uh, improved enough to get in that top 10 conversation. There you go. Well, Jed, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It was an absolute pleasure, my man. Keep holding it down for Georgia and let the audience know where to follow you on social media and anything else you want to plug. Okay, um, I'm a writer for MMAfighting.com. You can catch my work there uh, every morning at 8 a.m. I will I have a piece Monday through Friday called The Morning Report that goes up covering yesterday's news, hot topics, things like that. Check that out every week. Um, every Friday or Saturday afternoon kind of depends on when the editor gets through it because it's usually a lengthy piece. I have a gambling breakdown of the uh, up weekend's upcoming fights. So I'll be submitting that to my editor after we hang up here so that will be coming out either tomorrow or saturday early uh check that out it tells all all my recommended plays where it kind of breaks down analyzes all the fights um and then you can follow me on social media jed k mishu on twitter that's j-e-d-k-m-e-s-h-e-w uh and I have a podcast slash radio show now uh, that I do every Monday at 3 p.m. on blogtalkradio.com slash happyhournetwork. Uh, it's called Fist Fight Fan Club, so uh, you can check check that out. Uh, it's just getting off the ground. I think next week I'm going to be speaking with uh, Mookie Alexander of bloodyelbow.com uh, about hot takes in MMA uh, just, you know, having some fun. I'm trying to get all the media guys that I know to come in and talk and just kind of shoot the shit with me for, for two hours every Monday. So definitely check, check with that. Follow me on Twitter, read my stuff at MMA fighting and at bloody elbow. And, uh, thanks for having me, Dan. Absolutely, man. It was my pleasure. For everyone watching, thank you so much for checking out Half the Battle. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube, and follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks and go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.
raised in the era when clean water was only served to the fairest skin. Doing clothes, you would have thought I had help, but it wasn't satisfied unless I picked the cotton myself. You see, it's broken, the race of nests that don't touch anything in the stove. And it's written, the race of nests that come in please by more. What you want? A Bentley fur coat? A diamond chain? All you blacks want all the same thing. You still only be young. Now everybody playing, spinning anything on Alexander Wayne. leaders and his followers but i'd rather be a brick than a swallower you see his leaders and his followers but i'd rather be a brick than a swallower